0: Spencer, does it matter which one I'm at? I can pick whichever one. I pick this one. (laughs) This is that one time a year when we juggle our platform to make way for Vacation Bible School. So good to see every one of you this morning. Uh, Glad that you are with us. Let me reiterate what Keith said while I try to get this a little higher. Oh, here, no, that's this one. Oh, it's high enough. I'm good. We're all good. Happy Father's Day was what I meant to say uh, to you, Dad's uh, grandfathers, fathers to be, uh, that are with us today. And let me reiterate what Keith said. Uh, If you don't have one uh, of these uh, little, uh, I call it a booklet, see how thin that is, guys you can handle that right yes you can this is an awesome little book great guide on spiritual leadership what it means for you and what it looks like some very practical steps that uh, uh, our like-minded friend john kratz wrote in this book published several years ago there's one with a new cover down there anyway guys encourage you to take one if you don't have one Uh, granddads, take one for your your son if he doesn't have one, uh, but please use that. It's a great tool. Let me invite you to open your copy of God's Word to Joshua 24. Joshua 24. These are uh, famous words, uh, famous last words that we're looking at today. Uh, The People of Israel have been assembled at a town called Shechem. And by the way, Gary, do we know where my clicker is for the slides? Is it what? Lo, here it is. Um, gathered at uh, the town of Shechem, um, Joshua has been leading Israel since the death of Moses. He is nearly a 110 years old. Uh, at this point, he is very much Israel's spiritual father in this setting. and We want to look at some of his words today. So uh, if you would glance down to uh, verses 14 and 15, you'll recognize these words as I begin to read them, a well-known passage. Uh, hear the word of God. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him, In sincerity and in faithfulness, put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is God's authoritative word. He breathed these words out. And so we submit to them. We put ourselves under them. We uh, bow to his authority in uh, these words. These words were without error in the original manuscripts. God preserved them and, and breathed through the writers. And the first manuscripts were completely perfect. Um, it's his, his authoritative and errant word. So let's ask for his help as we study this passage. A familiar text, we don't want to take it for granted. So let's ask for his help. And now, Father, we, we come before you again today. We're grateful for your precious word through which not only you reveal your Son, uh, Jesus Christ, but how you reveal to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. Open our eyes again that we might see. Father, I pray that you would help us, strengthen us to hear and put your word into practice. Uh, Be with me now as I preach. Help me to speak clearly, Lord God. Uh, We ask all these things, Christ Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. Well, my question for the men here this morning is this. Are you a thermometer or thermostat? Are you a thermometer or thermostat? Both are very different. A thermometer simply reports the temperature of the surrounding air. Uh, you probably have one maybe near your back door, and you check it before you step out into the blistering heat of summer. So, you know, just how sunburned you're going to be. Uh, uh, a thermometer doesn't affect the outside temperature or inside temperature, it only tells you what the temperature is. Thermostat, you'll realize, is completely different. Uh, you might have one. Uh, Uh, Many of us are are very, very familiar with the thermostat in our homes. I think men come by this uh, concern naturally, inherited, passed down from our fathers of what the thermostat is set at. I know I have inherited it from my father, uh, constantly checking the thermostat to make sure it's at that perfect Setting of saving money, but yet keeping the house cool. Or sometimes you don't care about saving money; you just want to be cool. And while you're fine, other people in the house are freezing. And and I call it a pressing concern for for fathers. It's just part of being a dad. I'm convinced it's in our genes. Uh, but the thermostat you see doesn't just report the temperature of the surrounding air. The thermostat controls the temperature of the surrounding air. It, it, uh, the temperature in your home adjusts to what the thermostat says it should be. Uh, we're well acquainted with what a thermostat does, but there's another thermostat in our homes that should be a far greater concern to us. And that thermostat is the spiritual thermostat of your home. Um, This is the the thermostat that men, husbands, and fathers really need to keep an eye on. Uh, More so than your regular thermostat. We need to keep an eye on this to ensure that the proper spiritual temperature is being maintained in our homes. Uh, You might not have been aware of this second thermostat. Um, the spiritual thermostat. Some of you might be wondering where it's located. And men, I have the uh, opportunity to tell you this morning that the thermostat, the spiritual thermostat of your home is you. You are that thermostat. It is up to you to set the spiritual temperature of your household and, and i by no means do i mean to leave wives out of this if you're a married man you will wisely recognize that your wife will play a significant role in the spiritual temperature of your home as well but it's the the buck stops with you the lord has has given you and me the responsibility of not merely reporting what the temperature is. God's given you and me the responsible, responsibility of setting the spiritual temperature in our homes and maintaining that. It's laid squarely on our shoulders, men, in, in the word of God. He lays that uh, privilege and responsibility on you and me. Some of us feel poorly equipped for that. Uh, as you step into either marriage or fatherhood, you don't feel like you're necessarily equipped to do uh, do those things because you didn't have a, you never saw it done in your home growing up. Your dad wasn't a, a spiritual thermostat, or maybe there was no spiritual climate in your home growing up, and you don't have someone you can refer to and think about, someone to imitate. And so the question we're asking this morning is how do I become a thermostat and not just a thermometer? How do I as a as a husband, father, grandfather? How do I maintain the spiritual temperature of my family? How how do I become the spiritual leader of my family? That's a daunting concept to a lot of guys. It's it, uh, it's enough to make you retire and sit in front of the TV often. But this is what Joshua addresses in this part of his speech that we've read this this farewell speech. again they're gathered at Shechem. Uh, Shechem, coincidentally, coincidentally, is the very spot where the Lord promised Abraham uh, to your offspring, I will give this land and here they are, having conquered. Uh, a great portion of the land, and Joshua has returned here, brought them here to renew their covenant or treaty with the Lord. And we're going to see um, we're going to see Joshua describe spiritual leadership through two phrases in our passage, and you'll see those on the back of your bulletin. Let me pause here and say that while I do mean for the men to to be the primary recipients and the application is chiefly to you men, and and i mean young men too because this is a role that you will grow into lord willing one day and it's good to hear it now of of what the lord is going to call you to be as a husband and as a father so young men um Men, husbands, fathers, grandfathers, this is primarily directed at you. But however, young ladies, this is this is good for you to hear as well. And you should take note of what spiritual leadership looks like from Joshua's perspective, because this is the kind of guy you want to look for. Uh, unashamedly, uh, you know, tell your dates. I'm, I'm just checking you out to see if you measure up. Do you really want to marry somebody who's not going to lead you spiritually? I I sure hope not. Uh, So, young ladies, uh, this is for you as well. Um, Dads, this is for you to uh, build into your sons. Mothers, this is for you to, to build into your sons. Hey, this is what your wife needs from you, son. And you need to lead her in this way. There are a wide number of applications for this, so uh, please don't check out and think it's not for you because I assure you it is. But anyway, there are two phrases in verse 15 that reveal the nature of spiritual leadership. And the first phrase I want you to notice is the simple phrase, as for me, uh, in that last sentence of verse 15, uh, verse 15 Joshua 24 15 as for me in my house we will serve the Lord I want to pull out three aspects of this phrase or three implications three things that this phrase implies for us as spiritual leaders men um, the first aspect I want to draw out of this phrase is that implies that you lead yourself. Now, this is not rocket science. This might be odd for you to hear. I never thought of leading myself. You never thought of you know, your conduct in terms of leading yourself. Uh, but this is the first implication of this phrase, as for me. And what Joshua has been calling Israel to in 14, in the first part of verse 15, first of all, applies to himself. And for you and me to be effective spiritual leaders in our homes, we must lead ourselves. Before you can lead anyone else spiritually, you must lead yourself spiritually. I think this is perhaps one of the most important components of spiritual leadership. So I urge you men and young men not to miss this a simple but important point You cannot lead others spiritually if you haven't first led yourself. The development of your own spiritual character is the foundation for any position of spiritual leadership, whether you're a husband, father, discipleship teacher, a deacon, elder, God's word stresses this aspect of developing our own character throughout his word. For example, in Exodus 18, when Uh, Moses' father-in-law, his name was Jethro. And when Jethro came to Moses and saw Moses burning the candle at both ends, uh, judging matters between the people of Israel, uh, he urged his son-in-law to find from the Israelites men who could help him. And here's how they were to be qualified. He said, moreover, look for able men from all the people men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of and of tens. Exodus 18.21. Exodus, you've got to look for men of character, uh, men who lead themselves. And then you see the same stress in Acts chapter 6 when the widows were being overlooked in, in getting food. I mean, that's a problem, isn't it? You talk about a political crisis. These were Hellenistic Jews, Greek-speaking Jews, as opposed to Aramaic-speaking Jews, and and so there there was perhaps a little bit of racial tension, and for them to be overlooked in the distribution of distribution of food was a was a really huge thing. And here's uh, what the qualification the the uh, apostles gave to uh, Israelites. Uh, Their, uh, uh, brothers and sisters in the church. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Acts 6.3. They must be men who lead themselves. And, and then you get to the qualifications for elders and deacons. And what tops those lists? Uh, those lists does paul say hey be sure you look for a good businessman who can manage the money of the church or make sure you look for a guy with with experience in construction so he can maintain the church building or look for a landscaper who can maintain the grounds no the the, the top of the list above any skill in fact those kind of skills aren't even mentioned in the list But uh, inspired by God's spirit, Paul writes, therefore an overseer must be above reproach. In other words, this has to be a guy of character, someone who has led himself that nobody can lay a charge against. And so when the Lord looks for faithful men to lead uh, families and to lead his body, what he wants more is men of character, men who can lead themselves. Listen to uh, one of our former presidents, Teddy Roosevelt. He said it like this. Before a man can discipline other men, he must demonstrate his ability to discipline himself. Before he may be allowed the command of, of commission, he must evidence command of character. Look then to the work of his hands. Hear the words of his mouth. By his fruit you shall know him. And so what this tells us is it's that spiritual leadership in your home is not a matter of learning some techniques, uh, some catchphrases, some quippy things you've heard from Dr. Phil, whatever. Spiritual leadership begins with leading yourself. As for me, as for me, implies that you lead yourself. You might uh, rightly ask, well, uh, what must I do to lead myself? What will leading myself look like? Well, again, we, we begin where Joshua began. Notice how he finishes the phrase in verse 15. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is the second aspect of this phrase I want to draw out, is lead yourself to serve the Lord. Uh, Serving the Lord dominates this chapter. Uh, In these two verses, it occurs seven times. In the entire chapter, it occurs 16 times. It's a major theme of this chapter. Uh, So what is involved in this idea of serving the Lord. What do you mean, serve the Lord? The the most basic meaning of this Hebrew term is to serve serve as the subject of the king or of the ruler. One Hebrew dictionary says the most basic idea of this term is that of a slave. Listen to Pastor Warren Wearsby explained. One of the key words in this section is serve, used 16 times. To serve God means to fear him, obey him, and worship only him. It means to love him and fix your heart upon him, obeying him because you want to and not because you have to. So leading yourself, men, begins by deciding who you're going to serve by deciding whose slave you're going to be. God's word uh, tells us that there are really only two choices in the matter. You can either serve sin, or you can serve Christ. You can be a slave of sin, or you can be a slave of Christ. Paul describes this choice in Romans 6.16. Listen to what he says. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Look at this phrase. Either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. What it boils down to is you've got two choices. And this is true of everyone. And there are only two choices. You can be a slave of sin, or you can be a slave of Jesus Christ. And Paul goes on into the next verse that says, Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin, anybody in the room, before you came to know Christ, you were a slave to sin. You might have not thought of yourself that way. But this is what God says of your condition. Uh, And he goes on, you've become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And because they have placed their faith in Christ later, he says, but now that you have been set free from sin, you have become slaves of God. And the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Who wouldn't want to serve that master? you could suffer uh, eternal torment or eternal bliss it's really um uh, it's not much of a choice it's one we would say well duh i hope we would say duh but many in fact have not said uh, or seen the obvious choice and so men this is the this is the option uh up front is we're called to lead ourselves by serving the Lord. Um, we are called to, um, we're called to declare our allegiance up front. Who exactly are we going to serve as the thermostat in our home? Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, he is no Christian who does not seek to serve his God. The very motto of the Christian should be, I serve. Wow, you might uh, read that and, and, you know, that might be contrary to your notion of what a Christian is. Uh, Being a servant or slave of Christ doesn't resonate with what you believe a Christian should be. But I assure you, as I have, oh, on a dozen occasions, And if I've put it up in front of you once, I've put it up in front of you a million times. And don't exaggerate, right? Uh, Is this verse from Luke 9.23. Hear the call of Jesus. uh, The call of Jesus to follow him. And look at what it entails. And you'll see in just a minute that Spurgeon was absolutely correct. Yeah. Jesus said, and he said to all, if, any, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would be my follower, if anyone would become my disciple, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Being a Christian is not merely a matter of repeating a prayer at the end of a church service. Being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus Christ means bowing the knee to him it means surrendering your life to him it means making him your lord it means declaring your allegiance to him and man man we get distracted by so many things and you know it's time it's time for you to nail your colors to the mast it's what a ship did when they were not going to surrender they would nail their colors to the mast, you you need to you need to pledge your allegiance to Jesus Christ, and and not golf or gu- guitars or any other kind of sport or hobby. Uh, he, he 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 must be your Lord, men. He must be your Lord. So we, if we intend to lead ourselves, we have to begin where Joshua began. And he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Uh, We must declare our allegiance, surrender ourselves to his rule and authority. Uh, Just as Joshua did, and just as Paul mentions, uh, we declare ourselves to be his servants. Well, what does it look like to be his servant? Well, Joshua's already described that in the verse right above this. In verse 14, uh, he uh, goes on to describe, uh, uh, call the people of God, call the nation of Israel to serve the Lord in six ways. So first, you must lead yourself. As for me, uh, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Secondly, serve the Lord. But then, He's mentioned these already, and so let's go back to verse 14 and see these six items that he calls the Israelites, assembled before him uh, to to do. He calls them, first of all, to serve. Put this on another slide. Serve gratefully. He says we should serve the Lord gratefully. We serve Christ with a sense of, a tremendous sense of of how much he has already done for us. Look at verse 14 and how it begins. It says, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him. Therefore indicates to us that this is a conclusion. Uh, This is an inference because of what I've been saying right above this. Therefore fear the Lord and serve him. Well, what has come before this? If you'll uh, just glance at verses 1 through 13 uh, you'll see that Joshua goes to uh, goes on to give an abbreviated version of Israel Israel's history but it's more than just a, a, the cliff notes of their history it's a record of the Lord's faithfulness to Israel he reminds the nation of of all that Yahweh has already done for them as a nation in the first oh the first 5 books of the Old Testament how how he called Abraham from beyond the Euphrates river Abraham was not seeking the Lord it says that he was worshipping idols uh, verse 2 Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Abraham wasn't searching and found the Lord. God found Abraham and drew him to himself. It's a record of that as well as how the Lord delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt. It's a record of how the Lord gave the patriarchs the land of Canaan, how he destroyed their enemies in the promised land, how he fed them with food that they did not plant. Look at verses 12 and 13. It kind of wraps up the the history portion that Joshua recites. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites, It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built. And you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Yes, you fought in those battles. You used your swords, but that's not won you the victory. It was me uh, orchestrating and arranging everything. This is my faithfulness to you. And so Joshua brings it to a a point here, in gratitude for all that Yahweh has done so far in our history, serve the Lord, in verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him. This is how we're called to serve the Lord, men, out of gratitude for what God has done for us in Christ. We serve our families as spiritual leaders because uh, for all that He has done for us in Christ. Uh, verse fourteen is a little like uh, Romans 12.1. You uh, of course are familiar with this. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. He's referring, of course, to Romans chapter one through eleven. Therefore because of these mercies in light of the fact that you've been declared righteous in Christ in light of the fact that in Christ we're now dead to sin and alive to God in light of the fact that God's spirit now lives in us enabling us to keep his commands in light of the fact that God will provide all things through Christ and in light of all this present your bodies as a living sacrifice and Joshua is Doing something very similar to Paul there in verse 14. Since the Lord has faithfully delivered you through crisis after crisis, therefore fear the Lord and serve him. We're called to serve gratefully, uh, we're called also to serve reverently. Uh, spiritual leaders serve reverently. Look at verse 14. Uh, Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Uh, Fear the Lord, a common Old Testament expression that describes reverence for him. Uh, To fear the Lord is to treat him with the deepest respect, to be in awe. The ESV Study Bible notes that this phrase, fear the Lord, is a technical expression describing not simply fear, but reverence and true devotion. Just as any servant would treat his master's words with care, so you and I, out of reverence to our master and king, treat his words with reverence and great care, reverence and awe for the Lord. Uh, uh, The Lord is closely connected, fear for the Lord, awe for the Lord, is closely connected with obedience to his words. Moses makes this connection. If you fear the Lord, you will follow what he calls you to do. He uh he does this in Deuteronomy chapter ten. Look at uh look at this wholeheartedly is my next point, and I don't want to go there yet. Oh gosh, where's my verse? I don't have it, and I'll just read it to you. Okay, so we're talking about how reverence for the Lord is connected to. Uh, devotion to his word and now Israel what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God to walk in his ways to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today for your good Deuteronomy 10 12 through 13 this reverent service is connected with obedience to his words. We we follow what he says. This illustration comes uh, from uh, the time of the war between the states, uh, or however you describe it in your household, the War of Northern Aggression, or the Civil War is what most of us refer to it as. But uh, General Lee one day sent word to... Uh, his general, Stonewall Jackson, that uh, the next time he rode in the direction of headquarters, Lee, the commander-in-chief, would be glad to see him on a matter which he described as of no great importance. So it wasn't pressing. But Lee says, "When when you're near, I want to talk to you about something. Stonewall Jackson received the message and prepared immediately to leave the next morning. Rising very early, he rode the eight miles to Lee's headquarters against a storm of wind and snow and arrived just as Lee was finishing breakfast. Lee looked up surprised and asked Jackson why he had ridden through such a storm, and Jackson replied, But you said that you wished to see me. General Lee's slightest wish is a supreme command to me. Uh, Stonewall Jackson, whatever your opinion of him, was a remarkable man. And from witnesses, we can say uh, that he was a godly man. He was a Presbyterian elder in his church. Um, He did own a slave uh, who he discipled um, and I believe set free or that was his intention regardless if 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 you can hear that story without getting all woke about it the sentiment the sentiment is what i want you to hear and we're called to uh, address our lord and master the same way uh, uh, in the, in the the line you've heard probably a million times your wish is my command it's like that guys Is that how you treat the word of your master, what he calls me to do? He's not kidding about it. So we serve reverently. We serve, as you've already seen, we serve also wholeheartedly. Um, Verse 14 continues. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. And in faithfulness. Sincerity refers to wholeness and completeness or perfection. And faithfulness describes serving with complete integrity and, and reliability. His, this is a passionate plea from Joshua to be totally devoted to serving the Lord. It, it's not something that we wear on the outside. It, it's not an act. It comes from your heart, Dad. Our service to the Lord, our spiritual leadership must be genuine and without hypocrisy. Uh, Former uh, General and President Dwight Eisenhower said, in order to be a leader, a man must have followers. And to have followers, a man must have their confidence. Hence, the supreme quality for a leader is unquestionable integrity. Without it, no real success is possible. If a man's associates find him guilty of being phony. If they find that he lacks forthright integrity, he will fail. His teaching and his actions must square with each other. We, we're called to lead wholeheartedly. This uh, conversation, rather interesting conversation, was recorded somehow. I don't know how. It, uh, conversation took place between a hen and a hog. And uh, the conversation took place when they were passing by a country church and they observed the title for next week's sermon, How Can We Help the Poor? And the hen thought for a moment and then suddenly piped up, I know what we can do. We can give the poor a ham and egg breakfast. And the hog protested saying, Well, that's great. For you, that's a contribution. For me, it's total commitment. (laughs) Wherever that came from, I don't know. (laughs) Um, But that's the idea of this wholeheartedly serving the Lord. He goes on to add, uh, fourthly, that we serve exclusively. Uh, When we declare our allegiance to serve Jesus Christ, it necessarily implies that we're not serving anyone else. Uh, We see this in the middle of verse 14. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Here Joshua calls them to reject any alliance with foreign gods and to give their undivided loyalty to Yahweh. And he divides them kind of into two categories. There were gods that their forefathers served beyond the euphrates river this is as we see in in verse 15 and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the lord choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river and so probably referring to gods like Baal the god of storm and wind and thunder some of us worshiped some of our fathers rather worshiped a God like this as they devoted themselves to, to power and wealth and career advancement. We're susceptible to the same kind of God. And not only were there their fathers gods, there were gods prominent in their own day. As verse 15 goes on to say, for the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell uh, must not associate with them. And Here, Joshua is perhaps thinking of the Amorite fertility cults whose uh, worship involved temple prostitution and adultery. And these false gods would plague Israel for years to come. And of course, the God similar to this in our own time is the God of sexual pleasure. This was easily accessible to Israel through the high places that dotted the landscape and the same temptation is easily acceptable to us through uh, pornography on the internet it's it's a fight we must win men uh, our wives and our families and our church body is depending on us we must dedicate ourselves through the power of God's spirit to fight and win this battle we must serve the lord exclusively and not the gods of our fathers or the gods of our culture. Fifth, we serve the Lord decisively. Again, we're looking at verse 15. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Uh, Joshua here is pressing Israel to the wall. They must come down somewhere it's all or nothing they must give themselves to yahweh completely or not at all gentlemen the same holds true for you and me we have to land somewhere we must make up our minds we must decide who we will serve we must declare our allegiance as we saw earlier in Romans 6.16, we'll either serve sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. Bob Dylan said it some years ago in, uh, on his uh, Christian album that he put out. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. So spiritual leadership involves serving the Lord decisively. Sixth and last, we're called to serve urgently. We see this in actually two places. Uh, uh, Verse 14 begins with this phrase, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him. And uh, here in verse 15 again, choose this day whom you will serve. The time for you to start leading men is today. Today. It is not tomorrow. It is not next week. It's not when your kids get older. It's not when your children go off to college. Not when you free up some time. Not when it's convenient for you. Spiritual leadership requires that you lead yourself to serve the Lord. And the time to begin that is today. If you're a young man, it's not too soon. If you're an older man, it's not too late. Your wife your family your church needs you urgently or urgently they need you to begin leading yourself today we serve urgently so all of this comes out of that important those important three words as for me and i would hold it up to you as the foundation The keystone for spiritual leadership, lead yourself. Lead yourself to serve the Lord. And lead yourself to serve the Lord in the six ways we've looked at. Uh, Another phrase in this verse that we won't have much time to develop, but I want to mention it to you. The, The first phrase he describes spiritual leadership is, as for me. But second, he goes on to say, And my house. And my house. We will serve the Lord. Leading ourselves to serve the Lord will qualify and enable us to lead our families to serve the Lord. Enable us to lead our church family to serve the Lord. Enable us to lead those around us to serve the Lord. The same six ways we've been called to lead ourselves become the ways we encourage others to serve the Lord. We encourage our families and our church families and others to walk in these same six ways we've been walking in. Lead yourself so that you can lead your family and, and for my house. So men, are, are, are you a thermometer or a thermostat? Do you respond to the spiritual climate in your home Or do you set the spiritual climate in your home? Because like it or not, God has given that responsibility uh, of not merely reporting the spiritual temperature. He's given you and me the responsibility of setting the spiritual temperature. He's called you to be a a shepherd of your own little flock. uh, To lead those sheep to green pasture. In fact, you represent Christ to your family. You do so in marriage, and you do so in your home as well. So how do we become thermostats? Well, we've looked at these two phrases, as for me. And that implies you're leading yourself. It implies you're leading yourself to serve the Lord. And it implies leading yourself to serve the Lord in six specific ways. And the second phrase Joshua uses, and my house. Uh, once you've begun to lead yourself, you also lead the members of your family, your church family, uh, to serve the Lord as well. Let me conclude uh, with prayer this morning. This great call you've put upon our shoulders, Heavenly Father, as uh, first husbands and then as fathers and then as grandfathers it, uh, it is a difficult calling it is one that many way, many men have abdicated stepped away from have um, walked away from their post but Father I pray that you would give us courage fill us with your Holy Spirit that we can step back into this role of setting the spiritual temperature and in our homes. Uh, Lord, may it begin with us. Teach us and enable us and help us to lead ourselves. Give us, Lord, give us discipline. Give us your spirit and help us to do this. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, my mind just went totally blank. I'm going to ask the men to come forward who are going to help me serve the Lord's Supper. All right, we're short one. Let me remind us of this uh, important, uh, important text in which Paul describes the Lord's Supper and, and how to partake of it. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you this do in do this in remembrance of me in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me which by the way is why we pray twice as we take the elements of the Lord's Supper because That's what Christ did. As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We do this to remind ourselves all that Christ has done for us and his payment for our sins upon the cross. And while he is not physically present uh, in the the grape juice that's under here, or is he actually... uh, the bread does not become his body when we eat it it does not become his body when i when we pray over it uh it the, they're symbols they're important symbols that remind us of what jesus has done and so we we take them reverently we we uh check our own hearts before we take the lord's supper we we caution our children, and, and we don't let them participate if we're not sure they're followers of Jesus. Um, we do uh, exercise caution. So I would exercise, encourage you to exercise caution. If you're not one of Christ's followers, I just encourage you not to take it because it's a symbol that, that has consequences. We could read further uh, in this passage. And so I would encourage you, if you're not a Christian, just to watch but we do this to remind us of Jesus' payment for sin. The bread has holes in it uh, to uh, uh, to just remind us that Christ was uh, run through for us. He was pierced on our, on our behalf. Uh, Roman spikes were driven through his feet and his hands, and a spear was thrust up his side. And he, his body was pierced. And the grape juice reminds us of the blood that was shed. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, the blood is a, a symbol of his, him pouring out his very life for us, dying in our place on the cross. And so we, we take these remembering and giving thanks to Christ for his payment. Uh, Dying is our substitute on the cross. Um, You don't have to be a member of this church body to uh, take communion here. Uh, Simply, you must be a member of the body of Christ at large. You must know Christ as your Savior and Lord uh, to participate. And if you've done so, please do join us in taking the Lord's Supper today. I'm going to ask Jeff Fix, would you return thanks for the bread? Lord, thank you for giving us the ultimate gift of how much you loved us to sacrifice your son for our sin so that we could be refreshed and renewed. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. The blood of Christ shed for you. Let's take the cup together. Men you can be seated. Thank you. Let's uh let's stand and dismiss uh for our benediction. Let's uh sing uh what can wash away my sin, nothing but the blood of Jesus. <clears throat> what can make me whole again, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. I know you've got that now, and we can all sing it together. What can wash away my sin but the blood of Jesus? What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh. Precious is the flow that makes me white as snow, no other fountain I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.